Pastor Mai, I'm Chris Pearson, and this is Manx Radio. This Saturday sees the island celebrating its second open to all and free Pride event. It'll also be celebrating the 30th anniversary since the island decriminalised homosexuality. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll be sharing the story of Charlie, who was administratively discharged from the Royal Air Force for revealing that he was gay. Just six months after he was forced from service, UK rules changed, lifting the ban on serving gay personnel. This is Charlie's story. So I'm Charlie Brown. Uh, lived on the Isle of Man now uh, since April 1999. Uh, before that, I was a technician, a sergeant in the Royal Air Force. Charlie, going back, you always had an interest in aircraft, but you didn't want to be a pilot, did you? No, I come from a from a family of aircraft engineers. My mum my and dad both, both uh, worked at an aircraft factory, and I was always crazy on, on aeroplanes, but from the, I knew I didn't have the aptitude to, to fly, um, but I was always, I used to take, take things apart as a kid. I didn't always used to put them back together. But uh, and and I always knew that I wanted to be an aircraft technician, but not in not in industry where my parents came from in in the Royal Air Force. And you joined at a very young age. I was a cadet uh, in the Air Training Corps uh, from the from the age I was allowed to be a cadet, and I actually handed in my uniform at the cadets on the evening of the day that I signed up to join the Royal Air Force or signed. Signed on in the Royal Air Force, so yeah, yeah, that was all I wanted to do. So literally, cadet uniform in, RAF uniform on, training begins. That's it. And That's it. your life in the RAF was it was it what you hoped it would be? Yeah, I was very I was very young, uh, late developer, f- physically and mentally, and it was a it was a bit of a whirlwind to start with. I worked on some little training jets to start with, um, only only fifty miles from home, so I could go home every weekend. I got into motorbikes. I just I just enjoyed it. And, and and got on with it, and then then was promoted and started to go through the ranks. Now the reason we're talking today is uh, talking about your homosexuality and, and how that affected things later on in your career. Were you aware at that stage at all, or was it just not on your radar? J- totally not on my radar. I wasn't. I I was I was a very young sixteen and sixteen year old. Um, I had no idea of my sexuality um, when I joined the air force. It wasn't until a couple of years later when, yeah, I, I started to find a, to, to have a relationship with somebody very discreet behind locked doors. I knew at, at that time, very much so in the military, it, it wasn't allowed. When we say that, that's a legal thing, wasn't it, at that stage? It yeah. wasn't just something that was frowned on or put down no, or whatever. You would no. have been thrown out. In, in the early 1980s in the military, you would go to, you would go to military jail for it. Yeah, you would be court-martialed. You would go to a military jail, and then you would be discharged. And and even there's there's other horror stories from from other services with people going through um, electroshock treatment for wow. it. And this is the 1980s. As this was a, as that. this was this was certainly the, certainly the early and the mid 1980s. That was the case. So, you know, everything was was very very discreet, massively discreet. But also also I didn't I still hadn't recognised myself as as being gay. It, to me, it was just something that happened after a few beers with a with a particularly good friend. It was uh, I wasn't going to deal with it. It was it was my sexuality, and, and, and as far as I was concerned, it was uh, I put it in kind of a it was Pandora's box, and I'd I'd deal with it another day, but certainly not today. So you knew it was Pandora's box. You knew what was inside. I had a good idea after after a while what was inside, but I just uh, I just delayed opening it. But I had another reason not to not to want to. Uh, to come out, uh, my father at this point was, you know, was was in his seventies, 
um, was very old fashioned, and I uh, I knew that he could not have handled me coming out. His only son being gay, and I and I knew that. So one of the one of the deciding factors that I knew I could not come out was uh, was that, that it would destroy my father. And that sounds, Charlie, more like you protecting him than yourself. Yeah, I was protecting him. But also, I certainly didn't want to lose my job. I loved my job. I just, you know, by the by the mid-80s, I'd been uh, promoted. I'd been posted onto a tornado squadron. And that was the, the latest thing, the new electric jet in the, in, the, in the RAF. And I was too busy. You know, Pandora's box could stay closed. And I was too busy enjoying myself, working hard, playing hard, uh, going all over the world and, and just getting on with it. You mentioned your dad, you mentioned protecting your dad. There was an occasion when you went home and your parents thought you were going to see something else. What was the story yeah. there? So I'd, uh, I'd, had a, I'd had my first tattoo. I was 25 years old and I <laughs> and I decided to have a drunken tattoo and uh, I had to tell my parents about it. Now, I always wore T-shirts, so it wasn't as if it was something I could hide. So I had a few beers on the on the train on the, on the way home, a bit of Dutch courage, and then... When I got home, I, I was fully intending to tell my parents that I'd got a tattoo and some kind of distant uncle was round or something like that. And I think I said to my mum, I've got something to tell you, but it'll have to wait till later. I'll tell you after I've been to the pub. So I went off and met my mates, my schoolmates in the pub. And then when I came home, top of our street, uh, all the lights were on in our house and our house only. The only and house. I got in, yeah, I got in and, you know, my parents were sat there absolutely, you know, waiting for this great uh, revelation that I was going to come out with. And it was, uh, I think I said something like, right, no good moaning. It's what I want. It's how it is. And and I rolled up my sleeve and showed them a tattoo. And my mother said, bloody hell, I thought I was going to be a grandma. And my dad said, that's nothing. I thought he was going to tell us he was a shirtlifter. And uh, I, I can kind of remember thinking, no, not today. That's a but, story uh, for another day. Yeah, that's that's something for another day. Yeah, but uh, it, that, that never happened. I, uh, my my dad actually died in in nineteen ninety eight, and it was almost like a signal that uh, it was. Yeah, I was. I was. I knew that the world was. I thought the world was changing enough. Let's move the story on a little bit. Your your military career is going well. You're working on Tornado, which was the the fab new jet the RAF and others were operating at that stage. Uh, you get promoted, you're going on a course to become a sergeant, and that's probably the first time you had to sort of openly face potentially an awkward situation. Yeah, yeah, sure. We were on a, I was on a, on a course with about seven other guys, and the instructor, we, we, it was classed as a syndicate, and our little syndicate, our instructor, was just having a general chat, and he wanted to know everyone in the room's opinions on, sooner or later, they're going to allow homosexuals in the military what is your opinion of it and uh, they went to, this guy went around the room and asked us all now this was I, I was you know it was my worst nightmare because I could feel myself going red I was I just didn't I didn't know what I was going to say and it, I can't remember what uh, what some of the other guys said before me and when it came to me I don't know like uh, this this just just came from nowhere like like an old-fashioned bingo bingo machine where the ball came into my mouth and I just read what was on it and I said uh, oh it's okay if they make it legal but uh, if they make it if they make it compulsory I'll, I'll have to leave and everybody laughed and I could go red and nobody thought anything of it and I still don't know today where that where that 
came from, but uh, I, I seem to I seem to dodge that bullet. Which must have been a huge relief because obviously you must have sat there for a while just thinking, where am I going here? Because because if you're either not true to yourself, yeah, or you're going to be true to yourself, and this is going to start a chain of events you're not going to be able to control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's just sort of take the story a little bit. Around about that time, you first started coming to. Well, you've been to the Isle of Man before, but you first started coming regularly to the Isle of Man. What was it? I'm guessing bikes. Yeah, yeah. definitely, <laughs> definitely. I love my bikes. Love my bike racing. And uh, you know, I'm quite partial to half a shandy on a warm day, so I like my pubs. <laughs> and you know, the Isle of Man pub culture is legendary. And in the, you know, in the early '90s when I started coming here, you know, Bushies was the place to be. Uh, Bushies on Victoria Street, melting pot of the world. Um, you know, lots of d- different types of people in there, and and I just felt like I'd found a bolt hole. So I used to come here, you know, quite often, and I, I made a lot of friends. But still, you hadn't come out. Nobody in that group of friends knew. That no, not you a were, clue. You were gay. Not a clue. I still hadn't. I still hadn't decided to go that far yet. I pretty much knew myself. You know, I'd, I'd peeked into Pandora's box, but I knew what was in it. Uh, the year before Millennium, New Year's Eve, uh, nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, I decided to tell one of one of my close friends over here that uh, yeah, one thing I was gay. The other thing, I kind of loved him. Uh, which was uh, not an issue to him, but he he, he wasn't gay, but uh, or if he was, uh, he's never admitted it. Was he cool with that? Yeah, he was really cool with that. But so was every, you know, the jungle drums in the Isle of Man, as we know, go pretty quick. Uh, by the next day, everybody in the pub knew, and even, you know, the, the, it was just accepted. People knew me already, so they couldn't be prejudiced. And it just seemed that they just accepted me for who I was, and and not what I was. And especially when you when you think that the Alan Man's got you know such a such a poor track record, yeah. It, yeah, this was Alan Shea and everything. It's not that long ago, so no, it's not thirty years, isn't it? Since since the decriminalisation, but it was everybody just was cool and accepted it. What did that feel like to you at that stage? Because it's probably the first time you've been honest with yourself, let yep. alone anybody else. Yeah. It was the reaction of others that, that seemed important to me, and the fact that everybody accepted it. It was, uh, yeah, it was a massive relief. Um, unfortunately, then I, well, I went back to the, you know, went back to Germany where I was based at the time on a on a frontline tornado squadron, and I started to get a little bit brave. You know, mentioning, uh, you know, saying who I was to other people, and this was trusted colleagues and friends. Yeah, You're just yeah exactly. Sure. Were you? Were you? I was testing the water a little right. bit. Yeah. yeah, I was testing the water, and the. I mean, one of the one one incident. I said to a, one of my friends, a lot younger than me, in a bar, in a quiet corner. I said, "I've got something to tell you. I don't think I'm going to be in the air force much longer." Um, and he, he was he was a bit shocked, and I and I told him why. And he stepped back, and I thought that this was a bad reaction. And he stepped back and looked at me and told me that, nah, he wasn't happy with that. And in fact, he he used the word disgusted. And uh, I was a little bit worried because this was a negative reaction. And then he said, uh, I've got lots of gay friends. and I've got got the most wonderful dress sense. What went wrong with you? (laughs) A question you're still pondering? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) That that one never got better. So so joking aside, his reaction then was accepting? Everybody's reaction that I had then was was positive. But one of my close friends, he, he said to me, he said, Charlie, be careful. You know, you... You're releasing information now, and basically, somebody sooner or later, somebody will somebody will get hold of that who who doesn't like you. 
let's just put this in context. It's 1999 now. Yep. It's still illegal to serve in the British military and be homosexual. Yeah, yeah it was still lesbian, at that time. Yeah. So the warning was a fair one, and yep. it was done in a friendly gesture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, what was your reaction when he said that? I knew. I just I knew that it was only a matter of time before the cat was out of the bag type of thing. I really did. It was. I felt like I was already on a on a downhill, you know, on a, on a, not a downhill, so I was on a, I was on a roll. This was, this was, what was going to happen was going to happen sooner or later. And it. And what happened next? One morning, just a couple of days later, I was, uh, I was working on an aircraft and this same friend of mine came out in a Land Rover to pick me up and he said, Charlie, you've got to go and see the warrant officer. Who is, it, is basically God when it comes to sort yeah, of flight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever. The engineer, the engineering warrant officer on the squadron is, is God. I mean, I was a senior NCO, so we were a bit closer with him than, uh, closer in the clouds with him than, than others but uh, this was a brand new warrant officer that I'd, I'd never actually spoken to he'd only been on the squadron a matter of four or five days and what was it, what was the conversation that followed uh, so my flight sergeant an old boy from the same city as me Hull originally he uh, he had to come in in to the warrant officer's office with me and he he asked me he said what's this about Charlie I, I don't know and do you know and I had a good idea but I didn't say anything so we went in and sat in the office and, and Sam, the warrant officer, basically said to me that he'd been called into work the, the evening before by, uh, by another senior NCO who'd said that apparently I'd allegedly told people that I was homosexual. And um, Sam said to me, I'm going to ask you a straight question, pardon the pun, um, $64,000 question, are you a homosexual? And I knew at that point that I had to, I either lied or, you know, I'd, would anybody ever trust me again? So I, I told him I was. Um, Sam said he, that it wasn't the answer he was hoping I would make, um, but he didn't have a problem with me. You could see that this was, uh, he, he was, he's a, a very nice guy, still my friend to this day. He said that he didn't have a problem with me, but he asked Bob, my flight sergeant, um, to go and get coffee for us both and we'll go go to take me to to his to bob's office my flight sergeants and uh sam the warrant officer would make some calls and see where we needed to go from there well poor old bob this 50 year old flight sergeant he could barely speak he was absolutely floored by what had just come out in the office by what had just been said um and and sam my warrant officer said charlie will you go and get Bob a coffee and take Bob to his office? And in all honesty, I think it was that moment, even though I knew that this was going to be a role and I was going to lose my job, it was that moment in time that I knew everything would be okay, that I wasn't going to be, that it was going to be accepted, even though I was going to lose my job, it wasn't going to be a bad process because it was there was going to be humour there, and this was the only way I was going to get through this, really. So, And thus the process of what's known in the military as an administrative discharge began. Yes, what, it what was. happened next on that day? I was told to, to change into civilian clothing um, by OC Personnel Management Squadron, and then I go back into work. So That's I, like HR, isn't it, for a yeah, personnel Yeah, basically, the basically, exactly, basically HR. And uh, the guy was absolutely correct with me. You know, always, everything was done. In the Air Force, everybody was friendly. There was no interrogate. There was no form of interrogation or anything like that. Everything was done. The, the RAF were dealing with an, an administrative process. So I basically changed into my civilian clothes, 
and went down to the squadron. And then though there was one thing I'd promised my flight sergeant that I would do was I had to break the news to the rest of the squadron. And as one of the characters on the squadron, I was one of the kind of the junta on the squadron. So I so I walked into the crew room in civis. Some of the boys were asking why I wasn't in uniform. You know, was I skiving off doing something or whatever? So I switched off the television, called everybody into the crew room and hopped up onto the pool table. And basically I told everybody, you know, exactly exactly what it was that I was leaving the I was leaving the squadron I was, I was leaving Germany and I was leaving the Royal Air Force it, and what it, was the reaction of your friends these are people you've been th- in some sticky situations th- with yeah Germany, these, these are people you know I mean okay this was my second tour on that squadron but these I'd been on the squadron about a year and a half at this point but there were guys on the squadron that I'd worked with over over the for the last 20 years and uh, yeah, some of them were still shocked at the at the the revelation that I'd come that I'd come out because they had no idea some of the wives and girlfriends uh, did believe it or not. They they actually said, uh, "When did you ever see Charlie try and pull a bird?" <laughs> and, and 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 they had to, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some honestly, and and that was how it was. Which is incredible because you're about to lose your entire career for something that ultimately ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people you work with every single day didn't two, give a stuff about. No, two of the electricians when I hop hop down off the pool table, two of my electrician corporals came over to me quietly and said, Charlie, you're coming out party on Friday. Would you be, would you be bothered if we turned up in drag? And I said, I've, I've lost I've lost my job, not my sense of humour. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the lads built me a closet in the squadron bar. Yeah. You know, they... And this was... This is for your this, leaving party. For my leaving party, for my coming out party. They built me a, 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 from, a, from an old wardrobe from, from Married Quarters, uh, from the Married Quarters store, um with a big sign on the front of it saying Charlie's Closet and I had to go into this and then my Django, my junior engineering officer who's kind of my boss on the engineering side he knocked on the door and I had to all the doors fell off they were held on with match six and cigarette typical, papers typical quarter furniture I think that was a good one actually <laughs> but um, and in front of all my pilots and navigators and all the other engineers we just you know had a massive party and it's still spoken about in the the old by old tornado guys charlie's coming out party was uh, was legendary and and it, that upset me because it was why we had such a good party and you know when they made my speech and gave me my presence it was all nice things they said about me but bottom line was i was getting booted out of the air force for being gay your discharge happened at the end of june yes in 1999 in january 2000 not for you but for the system things changed yes yeah exactly um in in some point in january 2000 um they changed they changed the rules and said it was okay to be gay in the british military and then it was okay so six months less than six months after you were discharged administratively yep you'd have been fine yes yeah, if I could have. How does I that could, feel now? What, what, what does that leave you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I got a solicitor because I knew that this was something to take to court. In the January, he called me to say the lead cases had gone through, the law had been changed. He then said to me, "We got two options here. We either continue with it with a with a, a case uh, for the European Court of Human Rights, or I can try and get you back in the RAF." Now, this is six months down the line. 
I've got a job at Manx Airlines working 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 at Ronald's Way. I enjoyed it. I'd got my first license already as a um, as an engineer. And although I never had a problem with the RAF, my problem was always with the Ministry of Defence policy. There's a, there's a point that when positive discrimination came in, now, now I could see myself going back into the RAF with holding the same seniority, and then suddenly I I would probably be promoted to chief early, and my friends who would would have supported me normally would probably there would be an element that said ah, he's just getting that because he's gay yeah and then i would have been i'm pretty sure that i would have been posted onto the red arrows and it would have been this is the way that with positive discrimination works and and i i think there would have been an, a, a time when it was he's just getting that because he's just getting that because and i think that the rf would have used me as some kind of diversity model that's just sort of moving the story to its conclusion. There is an independent review which is happening is. at the moment. And, and, and what's that about? Who's doing it? And, and what, are you, what okay. are you hoping that it sort of shows? Yes, so uh, the, there's an independent review into the, um, into the pre-2000 ban on homosexuals serving in the British military. It's been done by the Duchy of Lancaster and it's been chaired by Lord Atherton who was the country's first uh, openly gay... Um, law lord or QC they, what they're, they're looking to do is to find out what the effect of the ban was on people's lives financially, uh, mentally and they want to address it they, 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 In uh, I think the review is due to be completed next May and then they will make recommendations to government whoever's in uh, at the time um, to to address the situation Yeah, with, with forms that um, certainly um, with an apology, because that's something that's never been forthcoming. And um, through one of the one of the charities involved with uh, LGBTQ veterans fighting with pride, they want to identify these veterans, and and many of them have never been apologised to, and and that seems to be a, a quite an important thing for a lot of for a lot of veterans an apology. But of course, it's it's got to be financial. It's you know that's the only way they can do it, and they've got to do it quickly. Once these, um, once this review is completed, the government and there seems to there seems to be a an appetite for the government to to from the government to get this over and done with and put to bed for uh, finally. They've got to do it in a short time frame because people aren't get people affected by this aren't getting any younger, and uh, you know t to me it's it's the loss of pension rights. Yeah. We mentioned that. We we should point out that things are very, very different across the board now. Tri-service, uh, the acceptance and the, yep. and the integration of people from within the LGBTQ plus community is yep. huge. And, and senior officers who transitioned and whatever else, it's a, it's a very different world. But the, the inquiry, I'm getting the impression from you that the financial thing is one thing, but an apology is probably the bigger thing? Um at the moment, I'd like a proper financial settlement, to be honest. But yeah, the apology... Um, the apology from the from from the MOD, which was never forthcoming. I've never had a problem with the Royal Air Force. The Royal Air Force treated me with dignity throughout the process of my discharge, and I'm still in touch with all of my RF friends. In fact, I'm the I'm the uh, the vice chair of the squadron um, the the squadron that I got booted out of in in 1999 when when I was kicked out of the Air Force. I'm the I'm the chair of the squadron association. And you know, nothing changes. We're still the same people. My mates are still my mates. 
But I, I want. No, we've got to have proper financial settlement. And and there are some. When you listen to some of the horror stories from other people um, who are submitting evidence at the moment for this independent review, some of the real horror stories um, that, of the way that they were treated in the in the seventies and in the eighties. Uh, it is. It really is terrible. You know, electroshock therapy. It's, it's crazy. You've been listening to Charlie's story on Manx Radio. You can hear the podcast anytime online at manxradio.com.